Let me make sure that's on. There we go. It's on. Because uh, otherwise, they can't hear me on the video. So Jason is with us whenever he is back from Botswana, uh, which is not very often. So you've probably met Jason once, maybe twice, and then he's gone again for like eight months. So he watches us on video. Uh, it's one of the things, uh, one of the things I love that, uh, that Rowan Williams, Rowan Williams, one, was the guy that you, you saw. We had a female and, and a male. Uh, he also was the one who had the absolutely amazing eyebrows. That's, I literally turned the lights down just so you could see his eyebrows. Um, I see uh, one couple staring at each other, which I'm assuming means somebody has those eyebrows. I do. Unfortunately, I have a wife who has been known to uh, uh, take a razor and go, yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> Well, she may not want me to tell things like that, but I did not lie. <laughs> um, and so I, I have been excited about the thought of growing out eyebrows like that, but they have not happened. So, but one of the things I loved that he, he described there um, was he, he talked about how um, that you know, God you know, used pain to accomplish things uh, because that's something that happens in our lives. And um, one of the things that's happened from, from COVID, okay, there's been a lot of bad things that have happened from COVID, but there are a lot of good things that have happened from COVID too. And one of the things that we struggled with as a church is we've had quite a few people who have had um, different abilities, uh, what some would call disabilities, uh, that have, have been a part of, of the church at one time or another. And since we don't own a building, we can't shape the building to meet their needs, uh, if you remember, we've had several people that had some, uh, some ambulatory uh, issues. And like, if you may remember, we had to build ramps going into my house because it was like, this is important for somebody to be there for the Super Bowl party. And uh, one of the things that I am thankful for that's happened is some of our people who, for various reasons, can't be a part of our personal gatherings can at least be a part of this, which is why I wouldn't... I don't, I, I'm not a big fan of bringing my cell phone up, but that's why I have the service going on at all times. So if you're watching, you can communicate back and say something. I'll actually literally bring it up in the message. Uh, and another thing that's happened is, oh, whoops, that's a little too high, has been the, uh, the constant transcribing that's happening behind me, which has entertained us sometimes when I said something and it ended up translating it like Nazis or something. Uh, but God uses all these things. So over the next few weeks, and that's going to drive y'all nuts, isn't it? Because it's only showing like the bottom section of that. Sorry, you want to shrink it just a little bit? It won't take much. Uh, there's a zoom part of it, W and tight. So you'll want to go towards T just a little bit. Um, we're going to focus on Lent for the next uh, few weeks. So as a church, we typically go through a book of the Bible at a time because what we want to do is not treat the Bible like a cookbook where you pull out little sections. There we go. Is it working now? Uh, that would be the, she'll get it. She can figure it out. Um, but we want to read large sections of it because the, the Bible was written for people to hear, so they would have heard large sections of it. So we like to read large sections. But two times a year, we focus on themes. One of those is Advent, which is the time period right before Christmas, and the other is Lent. And so let's read some scripture and then let's talk a little bit about Lent here, okay? We're going to read The Temptation of Jesus so this is uh, from the Gospel according to Luke. It's on the bulletin that uh, was in the back. Also, if you have a Bible, it's uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Um, or you can just listen to me and read from this. This is the word of the Lord. 
Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all the authority and splendor, uh, all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So this past Wednesday, you may have seen this. Uh, You may be like me and you struggle every year when Ash Wednesday happens because you weren't raised in a tradition where people put ashes on their forehead uh, and and you see somebody with the smudge on their forehead and you want to go, oh, there's something there. I I struggle with it every year, even though on Fat Tuesday, which is a holiday I'm quite familiar with because I was raised where Mardi Gras is a big deal. And uh, for those of you who think New Orleans is where Mardi Gras started, uh, for us Alabamians, it's very important for you to know that it started in Mobile, Alabama. That is where the original is. New Orleans may be bigger, but Mobile is better. I'm sorry, my regional pride is coming out and I'll stop because we live in Wisconsin where we don't really celebrate Fat Tuesday. But I always remember Fat Tuesday and on Ash Wednesday, invariably, I want to end up saying, And this year, I only saw two people with it, and I kept myself from doing it. I was very thrilled with it. But we want to talk about this because Lent represents, and and Diane uh, Butler-Bass was the, the female that spoke, and she talked about the ritualistic aspect. Think of all the rituals that we have in our lives that are are for things that are important to us. Yes, ma'am, Jan. I'm sorry, I get excited and I start talking fast. I understand. And we're actually trying to get some sound deadening on the walls because some of that's the echo. I'm, I will try to be more Southern and slow down my speaking, okay? Think of the rituals that we, we have that are a part of our lives. So actually, you're about to experience one of these if you haven't already. If you go to Camp Randall, this is going to happen. When is this going to happen? Come on, you know, some of y'all got to watch college football. College football is the best sport there is, possibly except for college basketball. Yeah, in between the, at the end of the third quarter, before the fourth quarter, they're going to play, jump around, and everybody in the stadium is going to jump around. Now, this is a ritual. It's one of the best rituals in college football. And uh, no, no. I mean, there are other colleges that have stolen it and try to do it. It originated with the Badgers. And it's actually a genius move. Because unlike my college football experience, I'm a University of Alabama fan, and what happens is everybody's there at the beginning of the game, and by the fourth quarter, the University of Alabama, 
usually we're winning the game. I'm not trying to sound prideful there. I may be a little. And what happens is people file out of the game at that point because truthfully they want to go back to the tailgate. This was started, in my understanding, because what they were trying to do was say the fourth quarter is when it's so important for you. And at Camp Randall, the opposite happens. People are tailgating quite often before the game, and the stadium's not always full until the end because everybody wants to be there for jump around. It's a wonderful ritual that shapes you. A few weeks ago, uh, this room was used immediately after our service uh, for another ritual, a ritual that I don't understand why it took place in Wisconsin, but it's still really cool. And that is a New Orleans-style band funeral. Now, that was for the old Lutheran church that became the dance studio that is going to be torn down. They did a funeral for that, and they marched from there to here doing a band-style funeral. I don't know why Wisconsinites are doing it. We are not Cajuns. We are, well, New Orleans is not full of Cajuns anyhow, but we're not from New Orleans. To my knowledge, that church slash dance studio had nothing to do with New Orleans. I think it was just they wanted to dance, and these are cool. But the ritual of this is to remember that death is not the end and there's celebration that should take place in it. Your family has traditions. In my family, my wife doesn't know I'm using this. This is one of her traditions. I should have gotten permission. I don't have it, so that makes up for the fact that you shave my eyebrows. This, this is my wife's grandmother's bowl. And when she makes a certain style of cornbread, she always uses this bowl. It is an old plastic bowl my southern's kind of coming out when I say that, isn't it? Um, it? It's an old plastic bowl. There's nothing special about this bowl in the sense of making the cornbread better, but it connects her with her grandmother and connects her with the way that her grandmother shaped her. Another family tradition that we have is we don't do it as much anymore because my parents used to live in Mobile, Alabama, and we would do multiple trips a year to Mobile, Alabama, and the halfway point is in Paducah, Kentucky. This is the only picture I have of it. This is the greatest rest stop in all of the U.S. Probably not, but for us, it was the halfway point, and it was the first time there was a Chick-fil-A. That was really important. Now there are other Chick-fil-A's. And Every time we came to this stop in Paducah, Kentucky, we would stop there and we would get something to eat. It was this ritual that reminded us of we're halfway there. What we are going through now in Lent is a series of rituals, but they're supposed to remind us of something that is more important. The danger is when the rituals in of themselves become the most important thing and we forget what they're pointing to to use the Camp Randall aspect of it. If everybody just came in for jump around and then left immediately after jump around, where the ritual of jump around became the most important thing, it would defeat its entire goal. With the, the, uh, the New Orleans band uh, funerals, if everybody was just like, let's just do some marching with the band, it would defeat the purpose of bringing some joy in the, into the midst of pain. Our rituals are supposed to remind us and help us to do the things that are important to us. And that's what Lent is about. It's not about you winning Lent. It's not about you doing the most successful sacrifice. It's about reminding you of what's important. 
And what's important in Christianity is that we have been called to come follow Jesus. Our entire goal as Christians is to be more like Him, not more moral, not moral and more in the sense of doing everything right, but to be more like Him. And who is He? Well, He is the one who we sang about being worthy. He is the one who is gracious. If you remember that song that Juan sang at the very beginning where we continue to say, is He worthy? One of the questions was about opening a seal as in a stamp that is placed on a scroll or an envelope or something to, to make sure that it is, is not open. This is a reference uh, to Scripture in uh, the book of the Revelation where there are seven seals that are there that, <coughs> excuse me, that uh, illustrate uh, the coming of the final kingdom of God. And there's the seventh seal. Some of you may remember mentions of that. Uh, from, uh, this is for the older ones of us. Uh, from the siege at Waco, David Koresh was a cult leader, and he talked about the seventh seal a lot. Well, in the book of the Revelation, it is who's worthy to do this? Who's worthy to open up this seal that is the beginning of the, 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 the way life is supposed to be? And nobody was found except for the one who is called the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, and that is Jesus. And the whole point was that he was worthy and we weren't. So when we talk about following Him, it's not about our worthiness. And that's the danger with Lent. See, Lent comes down to us preparing to be able to follow Him, and we're really good at going, well, then I will prepare. I'll work everything out. I mean, think about the people that are in this room. Think about the people that you know are watching this video. We as a church are a church of highly successful people. Think of the number of artists we have that are a part of our church. Think of the number of people we have with advanced degrees that are a part of our church. I mean, we're the only church I know of in town that has its own epidemiologist. We, we have people that do remarkable things, and one of the biggest dangers for us is to think, I can do this. It's my greatest sin is pride in the sense of I'm convinced that if you give me a book, I can figure out how to do anything. How did I learn how to fly fish? I read a book. How did I learn how to, how to do computer coding? I read a book. How did I learn how to mountain bike? Well, I watched YouTube videos, but if there was a book, I would have, I would have read a book. That temptation is there constantly for us to go, I can do this. And when we come to preparing and we read verses like this that say, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself each one should test his own actions, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else. For each one should carry his own load. We don't do a very good job of this. I at least am really good at comparing myself to others. If Jesus tells me to prepare, then I will prepare like you wouldn't believe. And I read passages like the temptation of Jesus, and I turn that into, here's how I avoid temptation. I turn it into a checklist of, oh, Jesus read the Bible a lot, and therefore he was able to quote it back, and that's what I need to do. Rather than recognizing that while I fail, he didn't fail for me. He went into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit, and he didn't fail. Now, one of the things that we do quite often in our faith 
And this is going to be Latin because if you want to make something sound more impressive, you always use Latin or Greek. It's just the way it works. Uh, when in doubt, put a fancy word on it. It makes you sound smarter than you actually are. Uh, but in all of life, the way the church has typically uh, defined it is it's done this. It's gone, there is the sacrum, and then there is the profanum. Uh, basically, this is sacred. This is profane. Now, we quite often think of the word profane as in something that is, is immoral, but all profane means is it's not sacred. So I want you to think of, of this as a church right now. Quite often what happens is people go, I go to the church and that's where I do my religious duty, and outside of the church, everything else is non-religious duty. And the purpose of Lent and the rituals we do in it is for us to learn to follow and to trust in God uh, on everything that is involved in our life, which means that it goes from this is the temple and this is the not temple to it expanding outward to where Jesus begins to become a part of everything we do. And what does that mean for Jesus to become a part of everything it, that we do? It means that we trust him in everything. We trust Him in our work. We trust Him in our friendships. We trust Him in our parenting. We trust Him in our relationships. Rather than saying, it's all about my effort. And that doesn't mean that what we do doesn't matter. But it does mean that it's not all on our shoulders. We talk about this every now and then, but there's a thing called the imposter syndrome, which is this mindset that happens quite often with hugely successful people where they go, one day everybody's going to figure out that I'm a complete and utter fraud. You may have felt that before. I'm going to point you out, Jan, because I know you do, because of the fact that we have several of your works of art in our house, and every time you talk about your art, you talk about how other people are better than you and such. And I'm like, literally, the, the artist who is represented the most in my house is Jan. <laughs> no, <laughs> there is not a shrine to, to Jan. <laughs> but I pick on you there just because there's an easy example of that. But I have it in my life, where we all know the frauds that we are, and yet we still try to prove that we aren't. So what do we do during Lent? Well, I believe we pick up rituals that help us to do three specific things that lead to the main goal. One of the things uh, that, that, uh, that these rituals lead to is penitence. Now, penitence just means that we are asking forgiveness or we are repenting. We are changing behavior. Here's one scripture that deals with that, okay? It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, the natural desire is for us to go, search them and know them, O God. Instead of us saying, God, look in me, find out what's offensive, Find out what's destructive to me and to others, and let's change that. One of the things that Lent does is it causes us to constantly be saying, how do we need to be broken so that we might be remade? And that, that brokenness to be remade always comes down to we, we need to be remade to trust in Him a little more. We trust in His grace that when He sees us and He sees us with all of our blemishes, He doesn't think oh, Robert's not good enough. Instead, he thinks, this is someone I love. This is someone that I want to make their life better. 
Another thing it does is it leads us in prayer. Now, again, the temptation, I think, for, for people like us is to go, well, I will just pray more. <laughs> We're really good at, at turning everything into the law. Scripture says that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And we do a really good job of going, then I'm going to pray enough to force God to do this rather than recognizing what this says is, if we turn to God, he will hear us. Scripture also says that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And what we do instead is we go, we need to control how well I call on the name of the Lord. And if I don't do enough of that, it's my fault. Lent causes us to stop and to focus on praying with Him. That's why we give up things. We, and you may give up a meal during the week. And the encouragement is to give up that meal during the week, not so that you might be ho more holy, but so that you can say to yourself, God is more important to me than my food. It's not about our personal holiness. It's about our dependence on Him. We pray not because of the fact that He has to be convinced to be changed, but we pray so that He will change us. He still moves mountains as a result of it, but sometimes those mountains are the mountains that are in our own heart, the selfishness that's in our own ways, our own desire to be our own gods. And the, the next thing that I think Lent does for us is this. It causes us to focus on others. It causes us to be penitent. It causes us to pray. It causes us to focus on others, which is a revolutionary concept in a world that is focused on ourselves, where we say it's about me and mine over and over again. Scripture says that if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others." See, the beauty of Lent is these rituals are meant to remind us to focus on others. Because when we focus on others, we become a little more like Jesus. So what does this have to do with the temptation story that we read at the beginning of this? Again, I think it's really easy for us to go, oh, this is a blueprint for how we avoid temptation. I do this, then I do this, then I do this. But Jesus is God. He is fully human, and everything He did in life, He did through the Spirit, just like we are called to do. But at the end of the day, the whole reason Jesus came down according to our faith is this. God gave us the law, and we as humans were not able to follow it. I.e., if I want to make sure that the windows of the rose house are broken, all I have to do is put a sign on it that says, please do not throw rocks at the windows. Rocks will be thrown at the windows. We are really, really good at seeing a law and figuring out a way to skirt it or to break it. This was not some blueprint of this is how you avoid sin unless you focus on one thing. I think Jesus was able to do this because he was full of the Holy Spirit and he had spent time with his Father. He keeps on coming back to Jesus answered, it is written. 
And that's not because he had memorized so much Scripture that he was able to say the right verse at the right time. It was because he had spent time with his father. And therefore, he was able to trust. Think about the things he was tempted to do. None of them were bad. None of these were things that we would normally think of as sin. When's the last time you started to eat a meal and go, well, maybe if I eat this meal, it's a sin? He was not tempted to rob money. He was not tempted to pornography. He was not tempted to any of that stuff. He was tempted to eat a meal when he was hungry. He was tempted to take what was already his. He is the king already. All already belong to him. He was just tempted to do it in the way that the father didn't want. None of these were bad other than whether or not he was going to trust his father. The last temptation is if you are really the son of God. If you are really the son of God. In other words, this has been said of you. The father said this because at his baptism, which happened right before he went in the desert, the father speaks down from heaven and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then Satan, the tempter, says, if you are really the son of God. Do you trust what the Father said to you? Are you going to follow through on what He said to you? See, I think that's what we're called to do in Lent, is we are called to focus on Him to the point that we are constantly choosing to say, I don't know what's going on, but I will trust in the Father. Jesus describes it this way. He says that if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Again, we're really good at turning this into ways to do things. I have been through multiple Bible studies where this is separated into three different steps that you're supposed to do. You have to come. Then after you do that, you deny yourself. And then after that, you take up your cross. And this is how that happens. But at the end of the day, this is all about us dying to ourselves and saying, I'm going to trust that God's way is the best way. My fears cause me to think if I work harder, I'll get this taken care of. If I get this, finally people will think I'm somebody. If I do this, finally I'll be a good person. And God says, you are mine. That's enough. And that doesn't mean you don't work hard to do uh, good at what you do, but now we do it to glorify God and to say, look at what God has allowed me to do. Epidemiology, look at what God has allowed me to do. The work that I get to do now that helps others. Not because you have some desire where you have to be the greatest epidemiologist in the world. You're the epidemiologist I know the best, so you probably are the greatest epidemiologist in the world. But instead, you do it now because you're like, God has gifted me with these talents, these desires, these things that I really enjoy that other people don't. I've never heard anybody say, you know what I want to do for a hobby this Saturday? Epidemiology. And yet, David, that's what you like to do. And when you do it for the glory of God, we're saying, I trust that my value comes from Him. I trust that at the end of the day, He is what life is all about. I think that's why Jesus was able to, 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 uh, to withstand Jesus' temptation because he was like, I trust the Father. It is the equivalent of him praying in the Garden of Gethsemane later on where he says, I don't want to do this, but at the end, not my will, but yours. He trusts the Father. 
Whereas over and over again, when the tempter comes to us and says, is this what God really said? We say, well, I don't know about that. I'm going to take that and I'm going to eat from it because it looks good. So before I end with what I think we can do with this, does anybody have anything that needs to be added or needs to be said? I'm going to look at the video to see. Anybody? Okay, then here's my encouragement to you. I think Lent is a wonderful thing. It's a terrible thing when we turn it into the law. Into the law. I have to do this. It's a wonderful thing when we go, you know what? This is very helpful for me in trusting God. Sometimes rituals are things that we, we see the meaning of them quickly and easily. Other times, they're things that we just do because we know they're helpful for us. I don't know what that is for you. For me, this, this week, I'm, pick, I'm picking, or excuse me, this season of Lent, I'm picking specific things that have helped me. I'm sending some of those out as a list in that email where if you saw it this week, I gave you an option of one thing to deny yourself from, one thing to, to choose. And I gave you like five different options of those. Pam has loved it because one of those things was to do a chore without being asked and not tell anybody about it. And she finally caught on. She's like, you're doing that, aren't you? It's like, yeah, that's my thing. She was pretty pleased by that. I don't know what it is for you. Some of these are traditional where you give up a meal during the week. Some of these are traditional where you, where you say, I'm going to pray on this time at this time period. Others are where you say, I know at the end of the day, I want to trust God more. I want to follow Him more. I want to trust that He's gracious. I want to trust that He's loving. I want to trust that He thinks the world of me. So I'm going to do this. And if it helps, that's great. But at the end of the day, it's not about religious duty. It's about trusting God. Find something this week that helps you to trust God. Make it a little bit of a ritual to where you do it at the same time, but always focus on, is it helping me to trust God? So unless anybody else has anything to add, I'm going to close us with our, our closing prayer. I'm taking that as a no. Okay. If you will join with me in singing our closing prayer then. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. So this week, during the, it's, it's kind of, it's not the first week of Lent, it's the second week of Lent, but it's, it's usually listed as the first Sunday of Lent. This is the first Sunday of Lent. So this, this week, I would encourage you, pick something that helps you to trust Him. That trust is not about your work. It is not about you going, I will trust more. <laughs> it's about you just at the end of the day saying, God's got my back. When you feel that temptation to put it on your own shoulders again, realize that's not trust. That's what the enemy does over and over again. He says, it's all about you. But 
Jesus says it's all about the Father. And when we live out that life of trust, it frees us up. It frees us up to enjoy the things that are around us that a good God created and gave to us. It frees us up to enjoy one another because we realize all of us are fallen. And the beauty is, if all of you think I'm fallen and I think you are fallen, none of us can let each other down then because we all know we're going to mess up. But we trust in a God who saves us and loves us anyhow. Go this week in trust. And when you go in trust, you realize that all things do praise Him. And you get to be a part of that. Have an absolutely great week. Those of you on video, thanks for joining us today. Don't tear down the tables this week because we don't have to because there's a funeral taking place right over there. I don't know why I'm smiling during that. That's kind of creepy. But... (laughs) 